the Freewheeling Podcast. We're here to chat about the Tour of Flanders, the Ronde van Vlaanderen that happened over the weekend. We're also going to touch a little bit on the Dwarves door Vlaanderen that happened midweek. And Amstel Gold is coming. But before we dive into that, my name is Abby Mickey. I don't know if I said that already. I don't think I did. <laughs> and I am joined by Gracie Elvin. Howdy from Australia. Lauren Rowney. Good morning, everyone from Belgium. And Abby is wearing a Mickey t-shirt. I love it. <laughs> Abby Mickey. <laughs> and Amy Jones. So on brand, Abby. Yeah. Yes. This is a this is a very um designer posh Zara. I love this t-shirt. It's the only one that fits me right now. All right, Regina George. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can only wear sweatpants. <laughs> Uh, all right, we've got a ton to talk about today, but before we dive into it, this week's episode is brought to you by Velocio Apparel. Focused on finding a better way in cycling, apparel design, sustainable manufacturing, and culture, Velocio has won accolades, awards, and commit and a committed following thanks to its high-performance bib collection. Tested in real-world conditions at every level, Velocio backs all apparel, including bib shorts, with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Buy, try, and return the bibs. No questions asked if they don't exceed expectations. For a limited time, use cycling tips at checkout for 15% off your first order. Learn more at Velocio, that's V-E-L-O-C-I-O dot C-C slash cycling tips. And thank you so much to Velocio for sponsoring this order. This order. <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> The new, I, I've, I'm always like a massive fan of the Micromodel like zipless jersey, mm. but they have the new signature jersey that doesn't have a zip that I'm like so excited to try. Has anyone tried it yet? No, but I, I love that look. look. It's in my basket. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm waiting for All right, you can the weather us. to warm up again. You get it. And then I can, I can think about showing my arms and legs. <laughs> the only person on this call who could wear it is Grace. Well, yeah. actually, it's getting cold here, Canberra. Despite popular belief that Australia is always hot, it's actually pretty cold already. It's, it's, <laughs> winter is coming, unfortunately. <laughs> At some point, one of us will try it because it looks super comfortable. And I've heard rumors that it's better than the micromodal. So Big if true. That's something. That's something. If I need, I need to, I need to experience to believe honestly, because that jersey's great. Anyway, let's get into it. Let's talk about Flanders. Just a brief rundown of the race. Well, we got like almost 100 kilometers of live coverage, so that was pretty freaking cool. And it all kind of started, the the crucial attacks of the day and where the race really started to kick off was right after the Tienberg with 36, 35 kilometers to go. There was a 11-person break that went up the road that had Cash and Iwadoma in it, so trying some new moves uh, to see if they work. Uh, Christine Mayurus. So Tienberg is four climbs to go. And after the Kreuzberg, Marlon Rusa bridged up to that group and joined it. And her being there, Kristen Mayurus, like pretty much sent it into the Ode de Quermont. There was a split of Marlon Rusa and Brody Chapman over the top with Cashini Wadoma and Arlena Sierra chasing. Anyone can correct me because I'm literally just going off of memory right now. <laughs> and then... Annemiek van Vluten was really pushing it on every single climb. So after the Ode de Quermont, she came over the top of that with a group that included um, Chantal Vanderbrook Black, Lotta Kopecky, and a couple others behind. They then drove it into the bottom of the Paderberg. There was a very interesting moment with SD Works that we will get into. Over the Paderberg, Annemiek van Vluten basically caught up with most of the stragglers from the breakaway and over the top of the climb. It was Annemiek Van Vloon, Lotta Kopecky, Marlon Rusa. They were joined by Chantal Vanderbrook-Black, uh, Brody Chapman, and Castion Niwadoma. And then the six of them were together for, like, I don't know, a second before Chantal Vanderbrook-Black attacked that group. She was followed by, or chased down by, Van Vluten and Kopecky. The three of them rode to the line together. Chantal did the last, like, 10 kilometers on the front. And then Kopecky outsprinted Annemiek Van Vluten to take the first ever win for a Belgian woman no. in Flanders, which is wild. Second. Oh, really? Not the first. No, I checked nah. like seven times. In 2010. Are you sure? Grace Verbeek or something. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, shoot. My article's wrong then. I hope somebody fixed it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> first for a while. First for, yeah. first more for than a 10 while. years. Just... 
Yeah. <laughs> but it was a huge win for a lot of Kopecky and we're, we're going to talk about all of it. I we usually I usually have been like diving right into it. I figured I would give everyone like a little bit of a run. Did you do all that from memory? That was very impressive. I did. Yeah, that is impressive. Thanks. I commentated and I've already forgotten some of it. Yeah. There's so much that Same. happened. <laughs> Uh, what do you think we should talk about first? Should we talk about Kopecky winning? Because it was like she was she's pretty a pretty like stoic person, but she was pretty emotional at the finish. Like she was this was a huge win for her. And she said uh, in a video that SD Works posted that she had two goals for the spring and it was Strada and and Flanders and to win both of them. Um, I mean, it's you set goals, right? And they're really hard to achieve. And especially when a goal is to win a race, there's so many factors that go into it. So the fact that she was able to pull it off is super impressive. And I mean, for me going into the race, she was my favorite for the win, but I think it was still, there was so much talk about Balsamo and Van Vluten being back and everything that it wasn't a surefire win at all. And SD works like they weren't riding specifically for Kopecky, but the way that they delivered her to win, especially Chantal, was super impressive. Yeah, you know what? Fair play to SD Works because they came out before the race and said that their plan was to drop Balsamo and isolate Van Vluten, and they did exactly that. Mm. Well, kind well, of. They isolated. I mean, Movistar. Yeah, no. I mean, you're right. They did. They isolated her by like the Paderberg, but Arlena Sierra was super mm. impressive. I think like. She, a couple years ago, she came onto the scene when she won Cadell's. And she was, I think it was maybe the same year she got, she won Trofeo Alfredo Benda or one of the other early races. I mean, there was a couple years ago where like Lauren and I were podcasting and we talked about her a ton. And she's been really off the radar for the last like two years to to take fourth uh, from the chasing group and also be up there and everything. No, I was just going to actually, Gracie, lead into you. Um, I listened to your commentary yesterday. It was beautiful. Uh, Gracie was saying <laughs> yesterday she's one of the most underrated writers. Yeah, I had her on my list for some reason. I just Her name just stood out to me on the start list and I just wrote it down as one of the dark horses for the race. I just had a feeling for some reason and she performed more than, yeah, better than I was expecting. I mean, she had a good few wins last year. Um one of the Navarra classics, the overall at Giro Toscana. Yeah, I think um, she's just a name that you do overlook. And another uh, talking point, I don't want to jump all over the place, but um, Chantelle Vanderbrook Black is another rider who has an incredible Palmares but gets overlooked so much. And I actually personally think she's had a very strong season. She hasn't got him so much those very, very high top results, but she's always there if you pay attention to the coverage. Like she's she's always in the right place at the right time. Um, as you were saying, Gracie, she's probably one of the most um, tactically apt riders in the peloton. She just feels the race. And um, I guess we can get into the tactics and stuff of SD Works, but um, she's just such a, a valuable team player to have um, on a team. Completely agree with that, but she had some explaining to do when she was chasing down Marlon Rousseau and Brady Chapman. Well, I guess we can maybe, like, instead of talking the race through, like, 60k to go, 50k to go, you could almost just dive into team tactics a little bit. I don't know if that's the best way to approach this. We totally can. I think we can start with SD Works, given that they won the race and it worked out. But what Amy's talking about is the stretch in between the Ode de Quermont and the Paderberg, which there's like a little bit of regrouping time kind of. And it's it's such a fast section, especially with the descent from the Ode de Quermont. But there is this moment where Brody and Marlon Russo were off the front and they had 13, 14 seconds. You had a bit more at one point. They had a decent more. gap. They, they had a pretty good gap. There was no, I went back and rewatched it and there was no time gaps uh, from the Ode de Quermont into the base of the Paderberg until it was eight seconds, but they for sure had more than that when they crest the top of the Ode de Quermont. And so it was like the group behind Marlon Rusa and, uh, and Chap- Brody Chapman was 
Anamik Van Vlitten was like the only one working. And Sierra was on the back of that group, but she wasn't like getting to the front to help Van Vluten. And Chantel Vanderbrook Black and Laura Kopecky were both in that group, but obviously their teammate is up the road. And they would have caught Marlon Rusa anyway. Like I have no doubt that they that those two probably wouldn't have ridden to the finish together, especially with the speed they got. They went up the Paderberg with Van Vluten. But Van Vluten was the only one chasing. And I, f- I was watching at that point, and I was like, she is motivated to chase. Let her chase. Like, let her tire herself out. Let her – any bit of energy that Van Vluten can use, you want her to use it. And Chantal Vanderbrook Black, like, came around – came inside of her on a corner. And I, I thought it was an attack, but, I mean, maybe it was an attack, but it just didn't – it didn't pan out that way. And Van Vluten was following her, and they – she basically, like – Chantel basically closed down a teammate. Halved the gap. Yeah, to to Rusa, which was I mean, it worked out. They won the race. <laughs> but I was still like, did did you have to like use that energy? Because Van Vluten would have brought it back. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know. That was dodgy, know. in my opinion. I'm curious about Gracie's opinion because she just knows more than us. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I I think Chantal wasn't the only one and they weren't the only team chasing no. other teammates down. It happened a few times with a few teams. <laughs> and that tells us it tells us a few things. In in this kind of race, it is so hectic in those last 20k that you're having to think on your feet and you're pretty tired. It's it's quite difficult to, you know, keep doing everything perfectly. In terms of SD works, they've done this kind of thing before in the past. I can't exactly give a a specific example, but I've definitely seen them and just doing something similar and wondering why, but they're they're always playing the numbers game. Mm. And I think they must have had a bit of an agreement before Flanders. We we always need two if there's someone else, you know. They're always playing the odds, Mm. Um, even though they have people that can win in most situations that they're just playing the numbers game and I really did think that they had Kopecky as their A plan mm-hmm. and I think that they were just doing everything for her rather than letting Rosa have the opportunity uh, and we don't really know what they were saying on the radio either and and that particular segment between the Odd Quemont and Paderberg sometimes you want to be in front because it's actually quite dangerous that little fast run into the Paderberg it's it's it does not feel nice. It almost feels a bit off camber in the corners, and it was wet. And I think Chantal was probably just riding on instinct at that point and wanting to be ahead and and just stay, you know, in control of that group. She wasn't necessarily pulling it. Yep, I agree with that. And I think as well, if we if we look how well Kopecky rode all day, she was in control, confident. She even said it in a post race interview that. She, she knew she could go with Van Vluten. On the Paderberg, I don't think she had a fear of actually getting dropped either. So if they were all in for Kapeki and they're playing the numbers games, then it does make sense um, what they were doing. And I do remember that section too well, Gracie. And when it does start raining lightly, um, you know how slippery those cobbles can get when they're just a little bit wet. So it makes sense. But... I guess we can also talk about just how fantastic Kopecky looked yesterday that there was no shaking her off Anamik's wheel. Like she she really was the rider of the day, I think, um, for, for this this result. Yeah, Kopecky was impeccable. She even followed a few things earlier in the race that she didn't necessarily have to, but she was always putting herself on the front foot. And to do that means that you're in good form to, to know that you can spend a few extra bickies here and there. She just she looked great and it was so impressive, especially on that last climb up the Paderberg, just seeing her glued to Anamique and Anamique was going hard. <laughs> like they would have got gotten a pretty good Strava time up there, I'd say. I feel like for me, one of my favorite parts was the final 13 kilometers because usually the race comes over the Paderberg and it's like whoever comes over the Paderberg first usually wins the race. I mean like last year we saw Anamik get a gap on the Paderberg and ride away with it. And the group behind her just wasn't working, but the race did not end at the top. Like you had that group of six and Chantel attacking that group was something I just did not see coming at all. I mean, it's obvious in hindsight, 
But at the time I was like, I, I was really not surprised, but just like so excited to see those tactics in that final run-in because it's so easy to like regroup there. And they still probably would have won out of that group with Kopecky. But like Gracie said, to get the better numbers, they wanted to break that group apart. And they did such a good job of doing that. And it worked out really well that Annemiek Van Vluten followed Chantel's move and Kopecky just had that free ride up and up like all the way to the finish. Do we think that the days of Annemiek being able to just ride away like that, like she has in the past, are potentially over? Maybe that's wishful thinking. But do you think that like now with the depth and like the in the teams, she's maybe, or is it just her, her form at the minute? Maybe it's just this race. Yeah. Maybe it's but she couldn't do it in like Strada either. She can. No, I think she just needs longer climbs now. The mm-hmm. depth... I think you're right. I was definitely reflecting on this recently and the depth is so good now in all of most of the teams. I think that's, it's just providing such better racing. And I think once we go into um, the Giro and the Tour de France, we'll see a different outcome once the climbs go a bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't, it's not like you're going to have, three or four teammates around you on a 10% long climb. It's, it's a different sort of race when you're racing up a long climb. And you mentioned this yesterday in your commentary, Gracie, but the fact that when we're getting to like the pointy end of the race now, we have several teams that have numbers. Um, and before it was just like SD Works, the SD Works show. But now we're seeing like um, in previous races, Jumbo Visma actually had numbers up the front. Um, usually Trek have numbers, FDJ now have numbers with um, Grace Brown, Marta Cavalli, Cecile Utrecht-Ludwig, um, and just just in general, there's more people at the pointy end. So you can do so much more when you have better representation, um, which is very exciting for, for mm. this sort of racing. And that's why I really enjoyed yesterday because mm. you, you couldn't really pick it who was yeah. going to win in the end. I think this was probably my favourite edition of Flanders to watch. Like I've ridden lots already too, but like in general, I just thought it was such a beautiful combination of, uh, you know, this brutal race, great course, love that they changed the finale, had Koppenberg to kick things off in that last 45K. But the tactics, you know, like I think that just made it such a richer race than it's ever been before and no one could be the hammer like there was so many hammers in that race that it had to also be a smart race. And that was, yeah, I think it was probably the best one so far, in my opinion. I think we have to talk about the riders like who really put themselves in the race. And Brody Chapman, we were talking about on the chat, she really needs an honourable mention. I thought, mm. you know, she's just been coming into form these past weeks. Dwarsville of London, she was fantastic as well. And she was just brilliant yesterday. She was actually the one who took the initiative in on the Quermont. Like it wasn't Rusa. I was thinking she's just going to get off on the front and drive it. No, it was mm-hmm. Brody. Brody just went out and had a crack. Rusa came around and she was able to hold her wheel. And there's not many riders, I think, at the moment who can hold Rusa's wheel when she just like turns on that turbo. So it was really, really impressive ride by her. She was the rider from FDJ yesterday, which is mm-hmm. why I found it quite confusing that her teammates dragged a group full of sprinters up to her and Cassia and can't remember who else in that group that's terrible but um was yeah Cassia her and yeah was it just the two of them or no there was um, I see Arlena oh okay yeah Grace Brown and Nutri were in that group I was confusion at that I mean, yeah, it's at that point you're like playing for the for the minor placings, but but still, like Arlena Sierra then out sprinted both of the other two FDJs, so they would have either been either way, they probably would have gotten the same top result of sixth or fifth. Um, But it was it's the optics, really. Yeah, it. I mean, it's but it's what I've been saying about about FDJ going into the races with so many leaders and not having the 
the captain on the road or the management to organize it in a productive manner. And in this case, it definitely screwed Brody over because she ended up ninth, but she, I mean, it could have been the best result of her career. It might still be, but that's hopefully but not. It, <laughs> Look, I hopefully mean, not, not with the way she's riding right now. She, sure. she didn't get that podium result. Right. But the, the performance she put out there was incredible. It was so noteworthy that it just shows what's to come. And I think she'll be brilliant in the, the Ardennes if she can come down a little bit now, have a little rest and then come back up. Um, she'll be great. So it, yeah, I, I mean, and with FDJ, again, like what Gracie was saying, when you're absolutely exhausted, I don't know if in the head they thought, oh, if we make contact, then we have better numbers and maybe we can chase down the ones at the front. Maybe in that situation yeah. you're not. Cecilia said in a post-race interview that um, mm-hmm. they attacked that group because they had Emma Norsgaard and they didn't want to bring the sprinter up to the group. Um which didn't happen. I think overall, it wasn't actually the worst optics. In to be to be honest, it's it's not great. <laughs> There's a photo I think that was put up somewhere on social media with uh, two Driving. FDJ yeah riders chasing Brody, but like Brody wasn't in the lead. If it would have been a different situation if Brody, you know, was in the lead of the race, but they were chasing the next lead, and it's important to have numbers to bring back another group. So. Overall, it wasn't the wrong thing. It just didn't look right. <laughs> what to take away from this for Brody is that she's she's always been this domestique in the role of going in early breaks, but clearly she has the ability to not only read the fin- mm-hmm. final of a race and be where she needs to be, but also the legs to back it up. So hopefully what this shows in the future is that FDJ will go into a race and not pigeonhole Brody into being the early break rider because yeah, for races like uh Flesh, where it ends with the just climb from hell and Liege Bastogne-Liege, where there's some good climbs. I mean, those races are obviously race very different than Flanders, but she if she can put herself in the right place, she's a great rider to rely on. So hopefully her performance yesterday leads them to give her a little bit more opportunity because that's she seized the opportunity yesterday and it worked out but the team has so many like quote-unquote leaders that it's always she's just she's just always kind of shafted when it comes to team well this is actually this could work in the advantage because you know grace brown i think is now a rider who is watched she she got away with quite a few things at one point because she was under underrated and People kept forgetting her, like her absolute potential. But with Brody, I think she's still a rider that maybe is overlooked a little bit. And um, you know, people are always going to watch what Cecile is doing and Marta Cavalli and now Grace Brown. So why not play that card instead? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons it did work out really well. I mean, that group that went away um, after the Tyenberg, I was, it was a pretty healthy mix. Not nobody's, but but like riders that weren't gonna win the race probably, and then a couple a couple favorites. I mean, you had like Kristen Mayurus. She is never one to overlook because she's been racing for so long and she's so strong. But she's always a domestique. If she ever is in a situation where she can win, she knows how to do it. Like she's she's been around the block, you know. And Kashini Wadoma, obviously, who. I think she she dropped her chain on one of the climbs right before that and after that she was on the back foot they there was a selection that went over the top of that climb and Canyon Storm wasn't in it and so Kasha really kind of took the race and went in that group when it went and it worked out well for her because it just meant she was in front of everything when things were happening behind Kasia. but sorry I was just trying to find something <laughs> But uh, but <laughs> there's that video of Brody. That's that's why it was yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to see who posted it. It was FDJ. <laughs> but it was it was like such a that was such an interesting combination of riders. And now I've completely lost my train. Sorry, of <laughs> but but there was a point. <laughs> there was a point to that. Sorry, my ADHD Instagram scrolling to find that video ruined everything there. 
let's talk about the sprint. Like, oh yeah, I want to know what you guys thought about Anamik's tactic in the last ten k. Could she have done any better? I don't think she could have done any different. I think she was in a super tough situation where, like. Kopecky had Chantel. There was no way that Anamique was going to get away. It, she she could have tried to attack, but she wouldn't. It wouldn't have succeeded. It just would have ended with Chantel chasing her down with Kopecky, or with Kopecky following her and then being in the exact same situation as Strada Bianchi. And then at the same time, she's riding to the finish. And I think it was really funny. Like I was talking to Ronan texting with Ronan at the same time, and he was like, "I think Van Vluten is still going to win this." And I was like, 98% of the time, Kopecky wins this sprint. Like, But we did see Van Vluten pull out a ridiculous sprint against Vollering at Omloop Head Newsblad. I think that was actually more Vollering not having great form than Van Vluten being a good sprinter. So Van Vluten was, she was in such a tough spot. Like, there was no way. She was, there was no way. She but the point play. about Vollering also, I don't know, but I would say that on paper, Kopecky's faster anyway. Mm. I don't know. But again, yeah, at the sure. end of a long, hard race, a sprint is not a sprint as well. I guess. But as that's what I mean. Like, Kopecky's, even at her sprint at, like, the same mm. level as Demi's was that day is probably still faster than, like, Anamique would have to be on the best day ever or Kopecky would have to be on the shittest day. Yeah, like, yeah. Anami could have tried to open the sprint up earlier and go for like a That's long what I sprint. Have but even then, Kopecky just sits on her wheel and sprints around her because she's still got a better kick. Mm. Yeah. That would be the only suggestion yeah. I would have had for Anami is that she shouldn't have been in second wheel. Mm-hmm. She should have not let Kopecky sit behind her for that long because she had no control then. We well, all knew that Anami mm-hmm. was going to go early, but Kopecky yeah. was able to just, you know, wait and then mm-hmm. kick after that and I think Anamique should have really forced Kopecky to be in second wheel if she had any chance and then she could have you know laid off ran at them had a long sprint I don't think that she still could have won uh you know I'd give her a, a more than a two percent odds in that other situation but yeah I think overall I don't think she could have done much better and she raced really well but just for you know young riders playing at home I think not being in second wheel if you've got one of the best sprinters right behind you is probably a, a good thing to learn. <laughs> they they played this, SD Works played that sprint really well. I mean, Kopecky positioned herself perfectly. Chantal brought it into the barriers, so there was no, there was only one way for Van Vluten to come around. She washed off the speed too, Chantal. Like you really saw it slow down. Yeah. And for, for someone like Kopecky accelerating from a slower speed like that's a strength of hers. She she comes from the track, whereas, you know, someone like Anamit, going back to what Gracie was saying, she has to wind it up. And, you know, we saw that at Het Newsblad that she just went really, really long. Okay, Demi wasn't um, in the best shape that day, but that that's the only way that she's going to get a result is just to basically have the rider behind her run out of legs. Um, and I think that happened to Matthew Vanderpool last year with uh, Asgrin. He just completely ran out of legs. So it can happen. But, yeah. What do we think about Trek? They talked the big talk before the race, but turns yeah. out Balsamo's human. Well, I mean, she like everybody was saying she like she was a favorite, and I was like, she she's not. Like, she is because she's the world champion and she's won three races in a row. But those three races are races that could end in bunch sprints. Flanders, at best, would end in a reduced bunch sprint and not on this course. So I didn't really see her as a favorite going into the race. But that being said, like, you can't discount her when she's had such a good run so far. But I feel like Trek, they... Obviously, they had no choice but to try to talk a big game. But the rider that they probably should have focused on is Ellen Van Dyke. Yeah, because she put in an attack already with 60K to go, which made... Yeah, she had, like, that moment where it was like... Yeah. Also, Lucinda Brand coming in hot for her first race, too. She, mm-hmm. I mean... Second race. Was it? Yeah, I think Didn't she, she was in Was she? 
Yeah, uh, that was the first road you race. Would, okay. You would want to have a, a little leg opener before Flanders, I think. <laughs> I still uh, yeah, can't get did. over that. I I looked through the results of Flanders and I did not see a Belgian. So from henceforth, whenever I publish an article, I'm going to send it to Amy to fact check. <laughs> New career as a fact checker. I actually love that shit. Giant nerd. Uh, I hate it when I get things wrong on the internet and then people... Wait, we actually have a TV show here in Belgium called Fact Checkers, Amy. So. I'm moving to Belgium. There you go. <laughs> Sign. Yeah, Trek, Trek was interesting because I think, like, Elise Longo Borghini's been sick and she's coming back from illness and also had a different prep to the season but her target is the ardennes and if you're not riding well right now and your target is the ardennes then there is very little turnaround time seeing as the ardennes starts in a week um obviously we've got it's like a little bit of a weirder schedule this year because of the french elections so amsel gold is on sunday and then uh flesh and then perry roubaix and then liege right yeah Yeah. something like that um, so, but those are the races that, that Eliza was targeting this year and she's still not looking 100% or even 90%. Well, I guess her illness so, is going to have contributed to that. And yeah, she, she straight up said coming sure. into this race, she was like, I've won this before, but I'm definitely not like feeling good. Like I'm not going to win. So, yeah. but she was still, I mean, she was still there. Like. That was such a non-statement. She was there. She was present. Yeah, yeah, she was present. I understand what you mean. <laughs> she started the race. No, I, know. No. I mean, I, she was there at crucial points. Yes. Was, yeah. I just couldn't remember the name of the climb. She was on one of the climbs. I'm really terrible with remembering the names of them all because there's also like five million of them. But she was like up there. She was doing she was doing what she could under the circumstances, I think. And she wasn't exactly doing a terrible job of it for someone who's been ill, is my point. But obviously, yeah, she wasn't gonna win. I was a bit confused around the aggressiveness of Trek earlier mm. in the race. Um, Ellen Van Dyke kicked things off up the Valkenberg, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was just. Braver woman than me. The last the climb. climb in that wave of <laughs> sectors before they had almost 20K to get ready for the next wave, which started with the Koppenberg. And I just didn't really see the point of an attack there. And I really didn't see the point of track attacking at all in general because Balsamo needed, she needed Ellen Van Dyke all day. She needed Ellen to keep welding her back to the groups every time she got dropped because, of course, she's in great form. She can climb quite well, but I think they just needed riders around her rather than putting riders up the road that she could get to. Mm-hmm. And also what would would play better into her hands as an, an easier race. I don't think we're going to see an easy Flanders again. But, you know, some additions are have been just insanely brutal and then some have just been a little bit more low-key and, like, stepping it down a few notches is when these riders, like when Corinne Lebecki won as well, was um, a slightly bigger group that managed to get back onto to those front leaders and we saw that sort of result. But... Um, the way it was raced yesterday, it was such a hard race. She was never, I think, going to be at the pointy end. So, yeah. Although Anna Meek said that she wished that it was a harder race. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. So it wasn't hard enough for some, but it was probably too hard for others. <laughs> I think she's the only one that thought that. <laughs> Don't worry. She's, she said that more than once. And I was there plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> Bleeding out your eyeballs. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, Bosmo was still Trek's like top finisher on the yeah. day in 27th, a minute and 13 seconds down, um, which is yeah, is not great. But also, they've they won the last three mm-hmm. races, and we we got to see some different stuff. So um, I'm not too fussed about Trek having a ha- having the wrong tactics on the day or like not having the right, not playing to their strengths. It it was good, though, because it made the boring part of the race less boring. So when that huge break went after the Tienberg and there was no track riders in there, I was like, their day is done. They all they could have done is weld that back together and they did not they didn't do it. So after that went, it was 
like that pretty much set the stage for how the race was going to play out, which is interesting because it's because it was a group of <laughs> I'm just going to go back into where I lost my train of thought last <laughs> because it was a group of like favorites and non-favorites, not like top tier favorites, but like Cash is Cash is kind of always a top tier favorite in my book. It just kind of never works out in her favor. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was surprised that Trek missed that split and then kind of just didn't didn't do much after that. I mean, I think if if they'd have ridden for Bosimo, like you said, Gracie, like they'd had riders around her at all times to just bring her to the front group whenever like or bring her to the peloton, quote unquote, like whenever she needed to be. Voss would have always been there. And when you hit the Powderberg at the end, Bosimo couldn't compete on the Powderberg with Kapeki and even Voss, I think. I I must admit, I don't know if I wasn't painted. I didn't really notice Voss yesterday mm-hmm. at all. Like she, she I think she I mean she was sick, so I think she's still coming back from from illness okay. and like working her way. Like she she did well at Gent Wevelgem finishing second, but it was it was a much easier race. But obviously that team put all their eggs in her basket there. Yeah. And kind of, you know, Anna Henderson was active as usual attacking doing her thing but i guess yeah she just didn't have the legs in the end she did finish one place ahead of the myth the legend lizzie holden so shout out to her and that team again <laughs> mike vanderdoin or however the hell you say her name every episode we have to do it we have to give a luck look well they just keep they just keep doing the most like <laughs> no i mean you're, you're not owned wrong. by helen wyman no because that's what Bridie said on the commentary yesterday, I believe. And I was sitting going, this is Helen Wyman's? Um, that's, that's, a, that's a no. Okay. Look, people get things wrong all the okay. time, okay? Mate, I get shit wrong all the time. No, I just was just checking to make sure. I thought. No, I'm just thinking about how I'm going to go on CT later to fix this mistake. But I was looking for your article, Abby, and I swear I couldn't find it this morning. Oh, good. Maybe someone deleted it. <laughs> no, like I, I was trying to find your, it's good to read your race report. And I was like, it's not there. Yeah. Maybe I'm blind. Maybe Kaylee deleted it because we're only supposed to write three paragraphs for each race report. And I definitely wrote like but that's nine. all right. It's Flanders. Come on. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot going on. I was like, I couldn't just write from like the Paderberg. I had to write the beginning because otherwise you don't, you, you don't set the stage. <laughs> you don't have this like... <laughs> It's not all. It's a journey. It's a story. No. It's an adventure. <laughs> Do you want me to edit it? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Just add for the first time in twelve. No minutes. one's corrected you though. The what about oh, That's great. It's just it's not there. The reply guys have gone quiet. Well, quick, quick, edit it before somebody comments. Anyway, to make this all better, how good <laughs> was the cheer for Lotica Pecky? Oh my god! Yes. Oh, so great. I mean. Like Lauren said yesterday, she's a household name. The video of the 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 fact that we finally got fans back on the course at Flanders. Mm -hmm. Like we haven't had fans on the course in two years. And Belgium is Belgium when it comes to bike racing. And to have the national champion win with like in the in the flag. I mean, everybody was they everyone lost their minds. And when they got up on the when they got up on the podium. And Kapeki had the microphone. I don't know what she said. Just the the crowd to see her standing on top of that podium was. And who says women don't have women cycling doesn't have well, fans? Come one on. thing I want to actually wanted to say shout out as usual. It seems to be a common theme nowadays, but to Flanders Classics because they held off. They had both podium presentations together, mm. so it's cool. Like there was a really nice shot actually of <laughs> Annemiek and Matthew van der Poel like having a chat and a laugh at backstage um but i mean yeah that's the kind of thing that like uh, it's equal exposure for both the men and women then like everyone waits around the, for the podium as far as i can remember they've always done joint Have presentations they? yeah i got to do it yeah at flanders for sure yeah but yeah it was really good and uh, she got a bigger cheer than matthew vanderpoel which is uh no. <laughs> and he's yeah. loved he's loved by the belgians at one point yeah. in uh when they were going head to head in cyclocross years and years ago before they were superstars on the road my partner said to me sometimes 
it felt like the Belgians actually loved him more than Walt Bernard. <laughs> Ooh. I mean, yeah. he does live there, I guess. Yeah. He's basically Belgian. I'm a sucker for someone who like hugs their girlfriend at the finish line. It's super emotional <laughs> um, too. Like, if you like that, I'm going to send so you a video. <laughs> Me and my videos today. They're so cute. I ah, <laughs> I just, I only, like, because I know that if Tom's won a race and I was standing there, he would be like, where's my recovery? Like, he wouldn't be serious. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just, it's just how he is. Like, he's very serious. So he just wouldn't, he it wouldn't be like an emotional. Guy, isn't he? <laughs> if I was at a race super and serious. Sam came up to me and that's what he asked me, I would simply walk away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he might not actually like ask for his recovery, but he wouldn't hug me. So like when I see Matthew Vanderpool finish or like even Wout Van Aert, when he, what, he every like race he races, he finishes and his like child yeah. is there and it's just the cutest thing ever. And I'm just like, you two are those two, Matthew Vanderpool and Wout Van Aert. I'm a big, excuse fan. me. This is a women's cycling podcast. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was very teacher like then. It was a it was just a good day of bike racing. Guys, the women's race was fantastic. I had butterflies mm -hmm. from like 20k to go. I was like, the stress cannot be good for someone who's 35 weeks pregnant. <laughs> but it was such a good race. It, the the entire race was awesome. Mm -hmm. And the the finale may have been like a very similar situation to Strada, except with Chantel thrown in there, but it was it was just the buildup was great. The players were great. We had some, we had Brody in there, which is like a new name to be in the finale of a race like the Tour of Flanders. And super exciting since she's a friend of the podcast and Australian. I don't know. I just, it was just like a freaking awesome day of bike racing. And the fact that there was so much coverage of the race and it was good coverage to watch, you know, to say 10 out of 10 stars. Yeah, like to say, for, here we go. Three hours of, of racing and I enjoyed all of it. While I, I zwifted, my baby slept, I ate oh, some chocolate. It was a we great day. We all had day. good days. Yeah. yeah. Although I was awake until 3.30. I was feeling for you, Gracie. I was like, how is she still so alert? I had to have a little nap today with my little kitten. Oh, your kitten is very cute. So. Yeah. We it we didn't great. even mention who won Dwar's Door. Do we have to jump back maybe for a minute? Are we covering? Uh, I figured we'd talk about Flanders more because Flanders was the bigger race. But I did want to mention Dwar's Door Vlanderen like super quick just because Kiera Consoni won. And a running conversation that we've had in the in our uh, WhatsApp chat is how Valkar Travel and Service just finds these young Italians and really brings them up. And then they usually move on to another team, but we've had like, there's multiple conversations to be had about Chiara Consoni winning Dwarves. Cause she's this up and coming Italian rider who is pretty exciting to watch. If you kind of look back through like her first cycling stats, she's, she's up there a lot. And it was a big win for her, even if it wasn't a world tour win. And then on top of that, you've got the running conversation that we've had about the world tour teams and how some teams in the world tour do not really deserve to have that license. But then there's other teams like Lacole Wahoo and travel and service Valcar travel and service who would be better suited in terms of the quality of riders that they have and also how they tackle the races to be at that top tier level. And obviously we don't know what the financial situation of Valkar travel and services and if they have any desire to be world tour, but they are a team that is just constantly punching above their weight year after year. And they lost Balsamo to Trek Segafredo, but they've immediately replaced her with Kiara Consoni, who basically studied under her for two years and, and is now able to slot into that role. So just that's kind of why I wanted to add Dwarves briefly to the podcast. Alcar would sit comfortably in a pro continental tier if that existed. They would be absolutely because I I think this thing of like I think until that happens, every team, every continental team is that has the budget or desire is just going to want to go world tour, and that's just going to create this top heavy. I mean, we've discussed this so many times, mm -hmm. but yeah. yeah. Also from that team, big up Sylvia Persico, Persico. 
mm-hmm. whatever. She was, I think, 11th mm-hmm. yesterday. She's been super impressive. She's one another one that's mm-hmm. uh and they're all coached by the same dude. The, uh Sylvia Persico, Kara Consoni, and Bosimo still are coached by the same yeah. guy. He might come on the podcast and chat. That would be interesting. Have they got an invite to the Tour de France Femme? As one of the, the the I don't think this is actually a thing in the women's on the women's side. Like obviously on the men's side, the top two pro pro teams get automatic invites, but the way that the Tour de France Femme this is a perfect I know that's why I did it. Can I just <laughs> flawless great job amy you can you can have my job i quit <laughs> you had it here first yeah so the top three continental teams were obviously invited to the tour de france femme which includes saratizit wnt park hotel valkenbergen and, and valcar travel and service which would all three be pro teams if the women had a proper tier system of teams mm-hmm. and then because we talk about them every episode lacole wahoo was also in invited which is huge and we amy and i were talking about how they weren't doing the giro but it makes total sense for a team that is going to that wants to be world tour or wants to pick up some more riders or get some more sponsorship to focus on the tour de france femme over the giro because the tour de france femme we already know is going to have proper live coverage and the giro i mean they say it who knows i'll believe it when i see it so, <laughs> but yeah, the, the teams for the Tour de France Femme have been announced. It's 24 teams. There's 10 continental teams that were invited and then the 14 world tour teams. And yeah, so it's really shaping up to be, it's pretty much all the teams that we would have thought uh, with some of the smaller French teams thrown in. Spunnens was in. All right. So the final, the final topic on the run sheet is a topic that is challenging at the best of times to talk about but with something that came up over the weekend i mean i i was hesitant to even bring it up because it's such a challenging thing to talk about but amy did some some research yesterday yesterday did some thinking and i and said it's important for us to talk about and i agree last at the end of last week emily bridges bridges who's a british cyclist a British trans woman cyclist was barred from racing Omnium Nationals by the UCI. So, uh, so Amy, take it over. <laughs> um, yeah, so she she raced before she transitioned, um, and obviously during that process, took time away from racing. The relevant amount of time to, I mean, the science behind this, I have absolutely, I'm not an expert. I don't know enough about testosterone levels that are, and this sort of thing. But anyway, she took time away from racing and this year decided to start again. I think I'm right in saying so. And the, the reason that she wasn't allowed to, or the reason they gave that she wasn't allowed to race the Omnium Nationals was related to the fact that her license still said male on it. So they, they use, at least they use that as the way to not allow her to enter the race. Um, but as far as we know, she, like scientifically with the, the guidelines that are set out the by IOC, the IOC, yeah. the Olympics, yeah. The Olympic committee, she's, she passed mm-hmm. those rules. So it's like a paperwork thing. Yeah. But then it's obviously triggered this whole kind of debate um and this is i mean yeah like you said it's really tricky because this is a subject that just kind of brings out such polarizing views and i think um pippa york actually said it pretty well in an interview with matt stevens where she said that it's like online this is an issue that's so polarized but if you talk to the average person who's more likely to have like a reasonable neutral view on things if you describe it in such a way that like it's just kind of like this is a person trying to live their life they'll just be like fair because the reality is like it's actually we should probably go back to Nicole Cook actually and how that fits in before but so mm-hmm. off the back of this um Nicole Cook who won 
Olympic and the Olympics in what was it 2008 mm-hmm. um world champion multiple times she's done she's a lot. one of the most decorated British yeah she uh, yeah mm-hmm. um I mean yeah she posted um or sorry she wrote an article I had to go to a very dark corner of the internet to find this I'm not talking about some dodgy dark web website I'm talking about the Daily Mail Mm-hmm. she wrote an article that really like was kind of it was full of speculation and counterfactuals and kind of didn't really help the situation it was kind of her speculating that like she was comparing essentially trans women racing to dopers which you know, she was in her prime in the 2000s when cycling was arguably at its dirtiest with that. And like I said, I'm not clear on the science between, you know, the testosterone levels, this kind of thing, and what advantage it gives. But I'm pretty certain that there were more people out there doped up on performance-enhancing drugs than there would ever be trans women trying to race. And this is what kind of... She shouldn't have drawn that comparison. No, it's article. a false equivalence. It yeah. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing is that it this incendiary rhetoric just kind of whips up this fear that of of a an imaginary threat that kind of isn't really there if you take as an example of the general population the percentage of people within that who would transition male to female so trans women in the general population then take as an as a portion of that those who want to go into elite sports and then take as a segment of that those who want to go into professional cycling like it's the kind this is what is really disappointing really is that the rhetoric that this kind of thing creates this fear that there's like hordes of men waiting to transition to women to come and ruin women's sport. And it's just not the reality. And also whoever got like famous and rich and powerful from racing from like women's sport in general. Exactly. And then the thing is, is like (laughs) there's far bigger issues and bigger threats in women's sport than this. And anyway, so Nicole Cook, I think quite unfairly used Pippa York as an example of somebody she looked up to when she was racing and is now obviously has transitioned. She then went and wrote her own piece in the times, which I don't, I haven't read because it's behind a paywall, but the behind all of this is just a young woman who just wants to crack on with her life and race like she used to before. And is in, and realistically she, Laura Kenny was probably still going to win the Omnium Champ. Well, I don't, to be honest, I don't, did it happen at the weekend? I didn't even, it's a, this, yeah. Sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I've sort of got. No, I mean, it's such a, it's such a tough, it's such a tough thing because there's all this science involved and obviously we don't know. I've always been of the mind that like the IOC is pretty like strict in their rules. And if they're going to, go through the trouble of laying out guidelines for someone who's transitioned to participate in sport, then it's a, it's a great starting point, obviously with more people being able to open up and become who they were born to be instead of who they were born as it, it becomes more of a topic, but it's, or like it becomes more important to, to understand the science and everything, but it's still, I don't know. I always think of how like all of us raced against Natalie Van Gogh and I never once thought like, oh, she shouldn't be here. Well, so that's when we come onto this false claim also by Lapartian, who I can't remember his exact words, but apparently kind of insinuated that the women's unions had kicked off about it or weren't happy about it, which there was no evidence for. Mm, um, to clarify, it was not from the cycle science. <laughs> right, which, yeah. So they brought out a statement, which I could read in full, but maybe I won't because it's quite... 
the cyclist yeah. statement yeah well i mean it starts with the cyclist alliance will support and treat emily bridges with the kindness dignity and respect that she deserves as a person we do not condone the harassment that emily has received the cyclist alliance mission is to strive for fairness in professional cycling and ensure 100 of female cyclists have a safe and stable working environment we recognise that achieving inclusion across all strands of the Equality Act is complex and nuanced and that the Union Cyclist International and national federations are finding the task of developing appropriate policy and protocols difficult. We agree with David Departian's statement that existing UCI tr- transgender guidelines are insufficient and need to be addressed. We believe more can be done to open the dialogue and canvas the opinion of stakeholders involved in women's cycling so that everyone is given an appropriate platform in which to contribute and that different views and experiences are heard and respected. The TCA is willing to be consulted by the UCI National Federations and CPA Women and will continue to represent the view of its members. We believe that the UCI and British Cycling have demonstrated unfairness by not adhering to their own eligibility criteria set for those set for those who transition from male to female to compete in women's category and ask for transparent clarification to be given to Emily Bridges on their decision. Mm-hmm. That touches on the fact that, yeah, in all of this, like, really sorry, Nicole Cook, but it's really the people who are directly affected are the ones that should be giving their opinion or being asked about this. Yeah, she she really didn't have to come out of the, what's the expression? Woodwork. Woodworks and write this, I don't know. And she said she had nothing to gain from it because she wasn't competing anymore. She was trying to protect the athletes, but you're 100% right. I, I actually haven't from, maybe I'm not paying attention, but from the women's peloton, I haven't seen anything negative come from anyone publicly. Well, like Abby said, people have already raced a trans woman in Natalie Van Gogh. Yeah, we, we all raced against her. And so so what the kind of people like on the, on Cook's side of things and the Daily Mail and all that would say is that they feel silenced. That's mm. the part of the rhetoric is that people are feeling like they can't speak out, which is just, I think, I think it's just not true. I think people are just, I think it's 2022 and people are just accepting that these people can just live their lives. And it's not, you know, again, it's this, it's, it's just this fear mongering of like, oh, all these people are willing, are like waiting to come and, and take results away from you. And I I think with Cook, like she's clearly got a bit of a chip on her shoulder with, that sounds a bit negative, but like clearly she has with regards to like, you know, the doping that affected her career, but it's, it's just not the same thing at all. And all these people who are so concerned with protecting women's sport are very mm. quiet when it comes to other matters. Exactly. I mm. think as well, the fear as well, it's, it's the fear of not knowing, having, not having the knowledge. It's just ignorance as well. I can't actually speak to, to any of this other than have compassion for, for these people, these women. But um, the, the science side of things, I... I just don't know. I don't understand it. I mean, if you had, for example, my partner and I were trying to have this discussion and we're like, yeah, what if you had a Walt Van Aert that all of a sudden decided he wanted to be a woman? Then, then where does the, the conversation go there? But so this is the thing, and I think this is part of the need to open up the dialogue, like TCA mm-hmm. was saying, because the, the language there of like just all of a sudden decided that they want to be, this exactly. isn't something that people just decide to do. It's not like Walt Van Aert's going to wake up one day and go, shit, I'm actually a woman. Let me transition and go race. Because it's also like, I was talking earlier about like the percentage of the population who, you know, transition, then go on to sports. It's also not a given that somebody who's competing as a man and transitions will then want to continue to compete anyway. That's mm-hmm. also that narrative. But I think this is further. this is the mentality of these people because I was reading the, the, the comments. I, I went down the rabbit hole. Oh, no. Which you shouldn't do. <laughs> and it seems to be it's just that fear, that ignorance, that unknown um, around it. So it's like, yeah. yeah. I think you've, you've all hit the nail on the head. It's people are afraid of what they don't understand and there's potentially not enough information or dialogue consistently out there now that are helping people to understand what the reality is for the situation in general, but also that uh, the rhetoric that comes with some of these discussions that are coming from, you know, that, that other side of the fence, that's, it's, it's becoming an us versus them situation. And without that information, it's really difficult for a lot of people to emotionally detach themselves from how that first reaction comes out in them. And, you know, trans people, I think, experience it 
at the most severe level, but the, the whole LGBT community really understand that feeling of being demonised and it's being seen as uh, a predator in our society when it's actually nothing like that. Everyone's just a person. It's just that's just who they are and that's just part of who they are. But it's just this fear of the unknown from everybody else that puts everyone in that in those categories into a box that they don't necessarily deserve. And, yeah, it's really important from the TCA point of view to keep putting her name in this statement. Emily Bridges is a real person. She has a whole life of experiences. She, you know, she has her own emotions and needs and goals and dreams. And, you know, it's, it is a really difficult situation but just to keep opening up the dialogue for all of us to understand what some of her lived experience is and those in a similar position is really important and it won't be an easy task to, you know, be, uh, to, to get better rules in all sports, but particularly in endurance and strength-based sports. It's going to be a bit of a long road ahead, but it can only be done with that open dialogue. Hence why Nicole Cook writing what she it's did. Damaging. Yeah, it doesn't help anyone. I mean, she wrote, obvious to all those remaining neutral is that the rights of one group can only be maintained via the loss of rights of another, which is just not true. That's the kind of statement that you end up kind of arguing against when it comes to things like women having equal rights to men, to this sort of, you know, men's rights, people who would say like that feminism is about taking what traditionally men are entitled to and giving it to women. And it's actually about equality, which is exactly what this is too. It's just about giving people equal opportunities. I feel like someone someone needs to like clearly lay out the process of transitioning and what that actually does to a body mm-hmm. because the the hormones that are involved, the surgeries, everything is like so taxing on the body that at the point where you're done with the transitioning process it's not the same physicality as the person is not the same as they were before i mean i don't know the science but i feel like that's pretty common sense to i would love to for anyone who's taken birth control yeah Yeah. like and knows what minor hormones can do to your body think about the amount of hormones that a person has to take to transition i mean that's that will completely change your biological makeup this is the thing it's why it's difficult to understand though as well because like there's different versions of it there's different like mm-hmm. levels to it like it depends at what age you start transitioning you take puberty blockers like you, it can get so complex this is like in the u.s where they're with the with everything that's going on in florida and the don't say gay bill and all of the trans rights that are being taken away in states and stuff and it's like everyone who's uh, who's against the rights for these people for for people for human beings it, it this topic makes me so fucking pissed off but everyone who's like who are who are for take for the don't say gay bill and and taking away trans rights in texas and all of this it's like at the at the, the lgbtq plus community are just people who are like trying to live their lives and they're not trying to push this on other people they just want to be themselves like they just want to be who they are and they're not out here like trying to convert people to be gay that's not how it but works. that's what the, You're like the likes of the daily mail want you to think isn't it though that's the thing that's the kind of rhetoric that gets whipped up which is like people it's like this is affecting you you need to get angry about this because it oh but it's exactly but it's it's not but like I like I would love to hear from from the women who race the Omnium this weekend if I'm sure that there's one or that there's a couple of them that probably do feel threatened by Emily being part of the race but I would assume that the broad majority like does not care if she competes no, I mean the British National Omnium Championships has never had so much coverage in its like, entire history. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, but we, but but no one like actually, I to my knowledge, no one asked them for their no. opinions, and none of them spoke openly about it. But we did get um, uh, we did get Nicole Cook spewing bile, spewing some opinions. Yeah, part of the reason I didn't want to talk about it because I knew I would get so mad. <laughs> Because everything going on in the U.S. right now is just so freaking frustrating. And it's like, just let people live their lives. They're not trying to ruin yours. It's not affecting you. I guess that's where it gets different. I guess that's where people feel validated in 
coming out with stuff when it comes to sport because then they have the ability to argue that it does affect others but it's, it is, does it's just educating people directly. on the reality of that it it might affect others but the but the very 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 small percentage of men who will transition into women and want to race cycling like you were saying amy it's like very small and there is science behind it maybe the science isn't great maybe there needs to be some more studies done but like i feel like there is there is a cut and dry well there's not like it's a i don't know what i'm trying to say like you can scientifically break down this conversation and have proof that it's i think that the whole takeaway point for me is why the fuck can't people just have compassion yeah. And if you are a Bible basher, for lack of a better word, I think the Bible is a lot of teachings of how to just be a good human being. And you're going to yeah. get comments for that. but um... No, you're right. I like I went to Sunday school and I went to, I was a pioneer girl. Like I did the whole church growing up and I read the Bible and, and it's like nothing, nothing in there is about like hating everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like a lot about loving your neighbor and just being a good person. I don't remember all of it, blocked out most of it, but like we need to end the episode. It's late for Gracie. She needs to go watch Survivor. <laughs> and I'm sure that we've like sufficiently drummed up some really great uh, at, at, ats. I don't know if we would in this conversation. Quite so vitriolic about. No, no. I think like I think most of our listeners probably agree with us because if you've made it this far, listening to the four of us talk about women's bike racing, you probably have a bit of compassion in you already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you need some compassion to get through our wish wash of Flanders today. <laughs> <laughs> was all over the place but it was good it was a good one my mom's gonna love this episode (laughs) anyway we'll be back next week to chat about amso gold which is coming up on sunday the 10th stay tuned to the cycling tips website for a uh, race preview that i will write up to drop on wednesday or thursday and amso gold is one of my favorite races i love this race it's always to me kind of like one of the world tour races where you get um riders like uh i can't remember who won it one year but i remember alexis ryan did really well one year like it it has some weird tactics and it falls in this weird point in the calendar where usually it's not the favorites that you expect winning the race and so it's it's one of my favorite events so cannot wait for amso gold on the 10th and thank you all for listening to this podcast please be gentle in the comments <laughs> and yeah we'll be back Very compassionate.